Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns, and this is episode 319. And I'm joined alongside my awesome co-host, Kasim Aslam, virtually from, I don't know, about 2,000 miles away. I'm always trying to guess how far away you are. But anyway, it's not that far because you're just, you know, you're virtually like right next to me on my screen here. So I feel like you're here. So yeah. welcome back to your show as co-host Kasim Aslam. <laughs> I felt good, Ralph, right there. You just kind of inflated my ego just a little bit. It's your show now. That's right. Well, we're going to talk about some interesting stuff here today. I don't know. Is there anything interesting going on in your world that we should touch on before we get into our, our uh, hot debate topic here today on perpetual traffic? Anything you want to give a shout out to the folks about? Maybe something that we do on Friday afternoons uh, or you know Friday mornings, Pacific time, 11 a.m. Eastern time, anything like that going on in our lives? I know. To not what you refer. No, we do perpetual Fridays, which have been a blast. I've had yeah. so much fun. We just, you know, honestly, it's pretty casual and we're getting more people showing up now, which is great. So what we really want to do though, if you're listening to this is we want to answer your questions. Hmm. And if you want to hang out with us and, you know, get a little interactive, show up. It's on the Digital Marketer YouTube channel. Easy to find. We'll include it in the show note. And we'd love for you to join, to attend. What's the yeah. right word there? I don't know. What are you doing on live? You just go live. You just tune in yeah. and you just click and there you are. So yeah, Digital Marketer YouTube channel. We're there live every Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. And yeah, there to answer your questions, whatever's on your mind from a digital marketing, marketing business, agency perspective, life questions. You know, we answer it all over there on those lives. So it's a lot of fun. And Obviously, we've been doing the show now for five, six years, and it's the only times I find that we really interact with the perpetual traffic listener is when we do a survey, which we did a few months back, which was really cool, or when we go to conferences. That's always sort of a fun thing is to, to meet PT listeners and talk about what's going on in their lives. But we haven't had many of those conferences recently, although there is one that we should probably plug that's coming up pretty darn soon that you're speaking at, that is Traffic and Conversion Summit. Some people listening to this show might have heard of it. It's pretty big this year. It's going to be half virtual, half in person, correct? You can go either way. You can go either way, but they moved from the Marriott Marquis to the convention center. So I think they anticipate this being the biggest one they've ever had in yeah. person. I hope they're right. I think that'll be a blast. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the last time I was at a conference was when this whole thing was just sort of breaking out. It was uh, the social media marketing world. And there were some people that actually didn't go because they, 
We're anticipating what eventually became a pandemic, which those people are actually pretty, pretty smart back then to figure yeah. all that out. But yeah, that was the last time I was actually at a physical conference. It's going to be at Traffic and Convergence Summit this year. Pretty excited about that. Myself, well as a number of the Tier 11 team members and uh, would love to you know, bump into some PT folks. Maybe we should do some kind of meetup or something like that. I don't know. We got to organize something between now and then. That'd be a lot of fun to to meet with perpetual traffic people. But yeah, back to conferences, back to some normalcy. And yeah, if you are interested in going to Traffic and Conversion Summit in 2021, head on over to, I think it's trafficandconversionsummit.com, all in one URL and buy your ticket or get your virtual ticket. And it's truly is the best digital conference or digital marketing conference on the planet. And yeah, pretty excited to be attending this year. So But today we're going to be talking about some other stuff, which is sort of on the conversion side from the traffic side. We do talk about both sides of the equation. Not that there are really any sides, but we might actually pick different sides on which we are in favor of here when it comes to the conversion end of digital advertising, digital marketer. And that is the idea of the sales funnel. Should you sales funnel or should you not sales funnel? And that is the subject of today's conversation between myself and Kasim. I feel very passionately about one side. He, on the other hand, feels very passionately about the other side. So we'll see how this all plays out. And I think this sort of comes from an interesting moment in time in digital marketing, especially within the last 10 years or so. I don't remember the exact date, but I remember when I first heard about it, it was the launch of this thing called ClickFunnels. And it was, I believe, 2012, 2011, just started to gain some momentum. And uh, Russell Brunson, who is the founder of ClickFunnels, in essence, you know, invented the concept of sales funnel. It was sort of a category king, a category killer, because there was a lot of websites that were out there, sort of pre-funnels. If you're understanding digital marketing or have any experience in digital marketing, probably say, well, yeah, sales funnels have been around forever. Well, actually, they really haven't. It's a relatively new concept to actually talk about a funnel in a sequential number of pages that perhaps get an opt-in first, then on the thank you page, maybe there's a a low-priced offer, or maybe on the page after that, then there's sort of the full-priced offer, and then there might be subsequent offers after that. That whole idea of being able to put something together in a software that you can basically cash and carry was a new idea back, you know, eight, nine years ago, because the opposite of that was that a lot of businesses just had websites. It was just basically a catalog of all their stuff, but there was no real way in which a customer could engage with that site unless there was some way in which maybe you fill out the contact form. And then the contact form was, yeah, we'll get back in touch with you. That was sort of the extent of how websites kind of worked back then. Digital marketers started to figure this sort of stuff out with sales page landing pages and opt-ins and the explosion of email marketing. But then Brunson came on in the early 2010s and I and invented this idea of sort of the sales funnel And it's a process based upon a software where you come in for your initial interaction, then there's subsequent interactions and upsells all along the path. And then that company ended up becoming a very successful organization, $100 million, I believe, in sales. I don't think they ever 
like took any venture funding or no, anything that like thing that. Is completely self-started. He talks about that often. They're bootstrapped and good for him. I mean, who knows yeah. what he's worth? Yeah, probably a fair amount, especially if you live in Idaho, I guess is where he lives. But anyway, the point is, is that was mine, sort of the beginning. Well, I just took a shot at Idaho just now. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's a little, little cheaper there than it is here in Brookline. <laughs> but no, the point is, is like that was a, it was a big event. And I think people sort of forget there was a time before sales funnels. So as a guy who has a little gray in his beard and Kasim who doesn't have a fleck of gray and has a full head of hair might not remember those days, but I know you've been around digital marketing as long as I have anyway. But the point is, is there was a time before people talked about sales funnels and now something that we talk about quite a bit. And I think there's a little bit of differences of opinion as to whether or not they're absolutely necessary or whether they're an absolute game changer for businesses. And we tend to focus as an agency, just my experience and where we sort of came up through the internet marketing and digital marketing ranks is we were very much grew up within the sales funnel idea, even as an affiliate, when I was doing all that stuff 10 years ago, like we had in essence, sales funnels. There was just no software to go out there and and buy an entire funnel and create a business in essence out of nothing, which is what ClickFunnels did. And remember at that point in time, there were page builders. There was lead pages. There was a number of other ways in which you could create pages. But I think ClickFunnels did it in such a way so that it was more sequential. Now, whether or not that's the way that you want to run your business or not, we have many customers inside tier 11 who still use ClickFunnels to this day. And in some cases, start with ClickFunnels and then eventually migrate to their own custom solution, which is our preferred method. But I know you've got some opinions on this, Kasim. I was sort of taking everybody back you know, down memory lane from when funnels really started and when websites were very, very different. But you guys as an agency primarily don't really do a whole lot with sales funnels, it sounds like. We're anti-funnel, Ralph. I hate funnels with everything inside of me. And I'm joking. No, I don't think I don't think that funnels are dead. I just don't think that they're the ubiquitous truth that marketers have made them out to be. Like it's weird because they almost feel like, oh, you can't drive traffic without a funnel. And in my opinion, you need an excuse to have a funnel. It's not the default. And some of this might stem from the fact that you and I just serve different customers, is my anticipation. I, I know I, I, I definitely fish in a smaller pond than you do. But we've got you know professional services, local services, e-commerce, SaaS, and those engagements, when somebody's shopping for that type of service, it takes time and it takes multiple touches and it takes multiple narratives and you want them to kind of self-direct and a funnel doesn't allow for that. A funnel, you know, I don't know that a funnel is a squeeze page per se, but I think funnels use squeeze pages as part of the, you know, kind of the scaffolding. I just don't think that our customers like to be squeezed when they're shopping for especially higher end services. So the way that I'd, I'd build the fork in the road is if you have something that's an impulse, something that can get a quick, easy opt-in, then a funnel starts to make sense. But if you have something that's, I don't want to use the term high ticket, but longer sales cycle, maybe higher end product or service, I think you need a more robust web presence that someone can engage with on their terms at their point of where they are in the sales funnel. You know what I mean? Like contextually, because there's your funnel that you've built, the technical deployment of pages. And then there's the sales funnel that we always talk about, you know, awareness, consideration, interest, intent, et cetera, et cetera. So wherever they are in that phase, I think that we need to make sure that we have content that's accessible to them. 
And a funnel makes everything really myopic, my soft opinion. I'm going to pause here to get thrashed. No, I think it might be a difference in the types of companies that we serve, as well as the type of advertising. Now, could the argument be made that more intent-based marketing, more intent-based advertising doesn't necessarily need a funnel. All you need to do is have an offer and a price point to get the conversion through Google search, through a lot of the advertising that you guys do, which isn't all search, obviously, but like there is a difference as far as like where they're coming from. Most of our advertising that we run is non-intent based. I mean, we obviously we do a fair amount of Google ads as well, but most of it really is interruption marketing. So from our perspective, we look at it one of two ways. Either we have an incredibly great asset that convinces them very handily before they even make do the click, which is you know a video format that we either have perfected through our agency or it's some other type of asset. But anyway, or the offer is so low priced, there isn't a whole lot of selling that really needs to go on I'm just going to say for the sake of argument in the news feed, which is basically, you know, when you're running Facebook ads, let's just say like that's where they're seeing you. So how much convincing do you actually need to do prior to them making that initial interaction? Well, if you don't have a whole lot of convincing that you need to do, oftentimes you don't need a funnel. If it's a local business that is, you know, it's intent based, I'm searching for a plumber because I've got a leaky faucet or my toilet just exploded. I'm not looking for an opt-in. I'm just looking for a phone number to call a guy to get out here as soon as possible before my living room floods. So do we need a funnel in a case like that? No, you probably do not. But sound like your types of customers, a lot of the folks that you serve might be in those types of areas. So this whole funnel discussion is a bit irrelevant. I would say this, however, though, is that not in all cases in intent-based advertising, is it always looking for the sale immediately? There is value in having the email, collecting the email and the information and having a follow-up sequence because not everybody is actually going to do what you want them to do, even if they do click on one of your intent-based ads. I totally agree. So one of the things that we do with clients is as somebody travels down a page, and I really love long-form landing pages, incidentally, as someone travels down the page, we travel up the sales funnel. So when you're at the top of my page, you have a bottom of the funnel offer. It's buy now, convert, schedule, whatever. And then as you travel down the page, the assumption is, well, you haven't opted in. So whatever I was offering you isn't of interest. And then we start to move, you know, let's say middle of the funnel, which might be like a calculator or something that helps you begin to really look at our product or service from your perspective. And then if you get to the extreme bottom of the page, and sometimes this is just exit intent, then it's a top of the funnel offer, you know, the webinar, PDF download, et cetera. But a couple of nuances there. One, the pages that we drive traffic to, 99 times out of 100, they have navigation. And I think that's a really important distinction because when you have a page that lacks navigation, you're inhibiting somebody from traversing throughout your site and also intrinsically qualifying themselves from an interest-based perspective. If they're on one page, imagine watching that person browse. If they're on one page, you really can't tell what they're interested in. When, you know, if I use like Hotjar or True Conversion or Lucky Orange, when we install that on somebody's page, we see that they land on the landing page, they start from the top, they scroll all the way down to the bottom, and then they go to the point that was of most interest to them. Well, they're looking at the entire page. I can't really tell what they're interested in. If I have navigation, and now all of a sudden, you know, for the majority of our clients, the, most traffic, the second most traffic page they have is their About Us page because people want to see mission, vision, values. 
but you go to the about page or you go to the pricing page or you go to a specific services page. And now each of those visits is a data point. And that's data that funnels don't have to give us. And it's data that we can optimize towards. They're qualifying themselves, especially if your site's built in such a way that lends itself to this type of journey, you're collecting information that you just wouldn't be able to capture instead of a funnel. So I find the exact opposite. Now, this might, <laughs> the more navigation we have typically in, from an interruption marketing perspective, the lower the conversion rate. Now, the argument could be made, however, that those aren't very high quality leads because you are squeezing out the email and the name in most cases, or in some cases, just the email. But you know, we're looking at conversion rates in some of our landing pages for some of our customers, which are ultra short and not long of 40 plus percent, which I would consider a pretty good conversion rate for a landing page. I think the, the Mendoza line, which is, I think he was a guy that like couldn't make it in the major leagues and they back and forth between like AAA or something like that. Anyway, look it up on Google. The Mendoza line for us is like, are you going to make it in the major leagues? Or are you going to set back down to AAA baseball analogy yet again? You're an Arizona guy, so uh, Grapefruit League in the springtime. The point is, is 20% or less, we, we're like, wait a second, that's a horrible conversion rate for a landing page, for a, depending on how many pieces of data that we're asking for, obviously the more form fields, the lower the conversion rate, but a 20% plus conversion rate is a pretty good one. And we universally find for an opt-in in non-intent-based advertising that you take out the navigation as much as you can. You have to have your footer links and all these other things in the bottom in order to stay compliant. But as soon as that navigation is taken off, all of a sudden conversion rates go up and we're getting cheaper leads. Now the argument could be made, they're not as good leads because they can't navigate through your site and can't click the about us and products and all the other sorts of things. You know, in most cases we're factoring that in, but we're also an agency that is looking for momentum And right now, especially now in the iOS world, we'll take more data and potentially lower quality leads because it's more data for the algorithm. It's more data that we might be missing from some of the iOS 14 opt-outs. And we found that longer landing pages, not sales pages, but longer landing pages don't give us as much data, especially on the intent-based or the non-intent-based, let me be very clear there, on the non-intent-based advertising platforms. Kind of the opposite on the other ones, but still worthy discussion here because I mean, it really, from what we're saying here, we're coming at it in two different angles. And it's sort of, it's the depends question, not Mm. depends as in like the, you know, adult diaper, but it depends like what type of business. Yeah, those are important too. (laughs) Build a funnel for that. You can build a funnel for that. That's right. They kind of sell themselves. Actually, it's more of a commodity based product. But anyway, let's not go there. The point is, is it really does depend on what your business is, what planet, what platform you're coming from, as well as what the ask is and how many form fields it is. I mean, we always say like more form fields, the lower the conversion rate. That's not always true. That's why you need to split test it, right? Yeah. And it sounds like you guys do do that, which is great with eye tracking, using true conversion, using lucky orange. We still use visual website optimizer, even though it does slow down our sites oftentimes. The point is, is you have to factor all these variables into the equation to ultimately figure out whether or not a sales funnel is right for you. Well, and you just pulled a trump card on me that forces me to concede one point. With the iOS 14 update, we lose the ability to build the audience, remarket, multi-touch, multivariant. So if somebody hasn't opted in, then they might be lost to you. 
So that lends itself to saying, I need to get you to convert faster, even at the risk of diluting lead quality. So, and that's something I didn't consider before this conversation, Ralph. So egg on my face, A and B point in your direction. Because iOS 14 absolutely lends itself into forcing early opt-ins. I will say that from, you know, and you've done a really good job of drawing a line in the sand that I agree with entirely. It's intent-based versus interrupter marketing. Intent-based seems to need less in the way of funnels and interrupter marketing seems to need more in the way of funnels. Most of the campaigns that we run, we're not actually banking on a conversion right out of the gate. The data point that we share with clients is 31 impressions before a conversion. And that probably means two to three clicks in three to five pages. And then we start to see engagement. And it's not all like, you know, emergency plumbing. It's professional, like professional services are a good example because that's the type of thing that people, they hem and haw over. You know, if you're looking for a new CPA, that could be months Hmm. of, you know, what type of business do you serve? What kind of business do I have? What's the, you know, who have you worked with in the past? What are your case studies, testimonials, whatever. And then them being ready to have that conversation too, because it's not close enough to tax season yet. And so if you're in a business where you have an 18 month sales cycle, and we have some clients that are like that, I think that it's funny because that type of client will come to me and say, oh, we need a sales funnel. And it it just blows my mind because I don't think sales funnels are bad. I just think that they're a tool that has had way too much play. And when the client comes to us and starts telling us what tools to use, that's when I want to challenge them and say, why? Why do you think you need a sales funnel? A sales funnel is perfect when the implementation for it is perfect. But, you know, we're not going to use a hammer when you need a screwdriver. And that's what I feel like people are doing. Yeah. I mean, there is a crossover between the types of customers that you serve as well as what we serve. Like we, one of our customers, they are selling, you know, $100,000 plus franchises you know, and a certain time of the year. And then they sell that service through once they get those franchisees on board, which is a service-based business, then they do all lead gen. And lead gen for us is really is a pretty simple funnel. Now, is a funnel a Facebook ad to a landing page to get a lead than a thank you page that says, you know, call us or we'll be in touch with you? Like I would consider that a funnel to a certain degree. Now there's email sequences that go along with it. There's the sales call. There's ultimately the sale at the end of the day. Like there's going to be a lot of convincing that's going to go on after that landing page and and thank you call preframe page and then multiple touch points after that, which isn't in our funnel, but it, it goes offline at that point because they're buying something that's six figures potentially. And then obviously then we as the agency then actually do a lot of their legion once they become a franchise. So it's actually, it's sort of a good, good way of doing things. So they come in through Facebook and then we end up helping them grow through Facebook and other platforms. Point is, is like, that is a sales funnel, in my opinion, because your offline interaction is still something that is extremely important. Now, can we put more pages in after that and make it sort of a classic click funnels sales funnel? I suppose, but all we really want to do is capture their attention on ads, video that's engaging, talking about you know business opportunities, et cetera, get them to opt in. And then it's really, it's our customers, good follow-up and they have supreme follow-up in this case, because it's obviously, it's a sale that they want to be going after. Like That's a really good example of a service-based business with a very high ticket item that can be sold through interruption marketing with a mini sales funnel. And if it were just, you know, lead and then nothing else, you know, with really no follow-up, maybe we don't get their phone number or something like that. Like just uh, we'll send them a packet or we'll put them into an email sequence after they 
initially show some kind of interest in buying the franchise, it would be far less effective. Yeah, it'd be a non-starter. When I think that's maybe where where I'm spoiled because I'm a Google guy and I do, you know, we don't focus solely on search, but that's where we start. And so I get to get in front of somebody when they say, you know, buy franchise now, sell franchise now, that type of thing. And that intent is a little bit easier for me to convert for you're way ahead of me from a timeline perspective and higher than we are in the funnel with interrupter marketing. And I can see why that would need something more of a funnel. I do think though that the funnel paradigm needs to be carried through in all forms of marketing. It just doesn't need to be this page, then this page, then this page. Instead, what you know, marketers and advertisers should be thinking about is once my customer has taken this action, whatever it is, action A, then I want them to take action B. And you build that sequence into your page, of course, but also your remarketing ads, also your email follow-up, also your SMS follow-up, also your salespeople's narrative and conversation. And if you can take the funnel paradigm out of the tech and put it more into kind of the sales process and sequence, I think that you know it lengthens the lifespan and then it also broadens the applicability of the funnel approach. Mm. Do you have customer... Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wilders and the authors of Reputation King, my buddies Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. That have three or four or five pages, like maybe it's not you know, it's the exception to the rule. Do you have any like in the digital products based businesses, info based businesses? Or are we all talking about like non DM kind of kind of folks as far as your average customer goes? Well, we have customers that span the spectrum. I've got some some clients that build micro sites for specific offerings. And then honestly, we do have some clients that have single page funnels that, you know, they, they convert pretty well. And generally, those are info products for us that we're running on Google Display. The issue with that is you have to spend in just an inordinate amount of money. Like if you're not spending twenty, thirty thousand dollars a month, then Google, Google doesn't function the way Facebook can. Facebook can conversion optimize much faster. Google needs way more data uh, for outbound interrupter. And I think that that's changing with Google's new performance max, which should be a whole new episode. I'm then answering your question. Most of our clients have traditional websites. 
So most of our clients have sites with five plus pages. And then our e-com clients, of course, you know, every product is its own page, basically. And the way they choose to structure that is going to change the way that it's laid out. Yeah. How was that for an answer, Ralph? That's good. I don't know every single one of your customers. I was just curious if one of them or two of them might actually sort of cross the line. I, we have actually talked about some of those in the past, which is really interesting. It begets the question, now that you bring up e-commerce, should e-commerce have a funnel? And if so, is it necessarily the click funnels type of funnel? And what would you consider like a customer of yours that's in the e-commerce space forget about funnels, take that aside. They don't need a funnel. So that's why I'm anti-funnel and they've just been able to succeed on their own. And what are the core characteristics of those that don't need the funnel? And then I'll kind of go into some of the examples of the ones that I know do need a funnel. And without it, they really wouldn't be able to operate on interruption marketing-based platforms. Ecom's interesting because our ecom clients aren't intent-based. We use something called smart shopping, which I've talked about before. There's another episode you can go hunt down if you have any interest. We'll try to include those in the show notes. And what smart shopping does is it monitors who's purchasing from you now. So it'll say, oh, Ralph bought this product. Great. What does Ralph look like demographically and psychographically? What are the events that have taken place prior to the purchase? What are the events that are coming up that might have led to the purchase? That type of thing. You know, you're going to a wedding, you bought shoes. And then it builds this customer profile and it pushes advertisements against other people that look just like that person. And because Google is so prolific. The Google Display Network reaches 90% of all internet users on the planet, 65% of whom are reached on a daily basis. There's nothing more ubiquitous on the internet. You could, you'd be forgiven for saying that Google is the internet. And so Google can get out in front of these people and you're not paying for those impressions. You're only paying if they click, which is huge. That's a huge distinction. And so for the very first time you take intent and then you use it to identify who your target is. And then you turn that into interrupter marketing. And those people buy. We've got, you know, 160 some odd clients, almost half of them are e-com and they're all using smart shopping to the tune of anywhere between, you know, 300 and 15,000% return on ad spend. Now, here's where I just lied to you though. Those are the only the clients that succeeded. Statistically, 50% of all Google ads campaigns fail in the first 90 days. The benefit I have is that if they fail, they fail quickly. So either you're my client forever, or I get you off my slate in 90 days because we tested it and it didn't work. And for the ones that fail, Ralph, I bet you it's this exact problem. It's because there's not enough people that would buy sans some level of like salesmanship. Can I put it that way? That's what a funnel is, right? It's sort of talking you into it. So I think, I, you know what I should be doing, man, is every single e-com client that fails for us, we should just send them to you to build a funnel. Because I bet you, you could turn that around. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> possible. I mean, I think there is, we've had both types of customers on the e-com side. Some who just have straight product pages, nothing really to show for, but then others who have taken sort of the, what we found is that the ones that are true e-commerce and succeed, especially with a product that's on the higher AOV, typically has some kind of digital marketing or even internet marketing background somewhere within the leadership team. A great example is a company that we worked for for five, six years. And they all came from the world of affiliate marketing. And they had, in essence, an e-commerce brand that was, you know, clickbankized in essence. It was as soon as you went in, you bought the first thing, then there was upsell path, there was a downsell, there was a cross sell. It was 
everything. And so they knew they could acquire a customer for a certain amount because they knew their path would work. And our intent back when we first started working with them is like, you guys are looking at this all wrong. You're making it far too complex. What we really need is to reverse engineer this whole thing. And because the product itself was so distinct, it was something that really they did have. It was a unique product, but it had to give a lot of, as, a, as an ad guy, you had to give a lot of information, a lot of selling pre-funnel for the e-commerce side of the equation to really work. So what we find is with straight e-com brands that don't have funnels, you do have to have a product that has a very specific benefit versus the rest of the competition. In this case, these guys were technically in the health and wellness space, in the lose weight space, and they had a very distinct way in which their product worked versus all the competitors that were out there. Did they have direct competition? Absolutely. But they were the only one with these specific ingredients that we realized if we could do this front-facing ad, especially video ad, using their spokesperson, we could sell a hell of a lot of these things. And we found that very early on in our years you know, spending on, on Facebook ads. And we then added that to other e-commerce businesses and got the same level of success. So my point is, is for us... We didn't necessarily need the sales funnel, all the upsell pathways through ClickBank and all the, oh my God, it was just a nightmare trying to do all the tracking in there and put your pixels in the right spot. It was just complete mess. So, but the point was, is when we were sending traffic to their ClickBank site, we knew we just had to hit this one CPA because the funnel, we didn't, we weren't able to track it at all. We just knew that they knew that they would come out positive in the end until we flip them over to this new way of thinking, which is sell it in the newsfeed, talk about your product, convince them. We originally called this type of video format the three-step video ad formula. We since have started calling it. And ever since then, you know, five, six years ago, the teach and pitch formula, where we would actually teach the cold traffic audience something specific about health, something specific about these specific ingredients in the product and then make the pitch at the end, like the logical conclusion. Yeah, you could go out and get all these things, these 11 things that we mentioned in this whole product, but or you could get it here. So click the link in around this video to get started. And those longer form to three minute, I think the first one we ran was like five, six minutes, converted like crazy right out of the gate because they did so much of the heavy lifting, you didn't need a funnel. So I think there is there are different ways to look at this. And we've since done that with a lot of customers, some who are in the sort of hybrid niches, maybe it might be e-commerce plus lead gen. We talked about one here on the podcast a few months back. Digital products, same kind of thing. We found that the front end creative can make the sale without the need for a funnel. But in today's day and age, like especially where we are since May of this past year, if we're not looking past the initial click, we're shortchanging ourselves in helping conversion rates post-click, especially because of a lot of the signal loss that's occurred with the iOS update. So for us, sales funnels have become far more important and far more of an integral overall approach. Combine that with front-end assets that we know really, really work. And now you've got a really killer combination, even in spite of all the stuff that's going on right now. So that would be my exception to no sales funnel for an e-commerce business. The only, well, 
The second exception, I suppose, would be if you've got a product that nobody else has. <laughs> it's the only one. And you know, I always say, well, if you have the cure for cancer, you really don't need a whole lot to sell it. You just need to put yourself in front of the audience that needs your stuff, put it in front of the starving crowd, so to speak, and then they'll buy it on their own. And But the real trick with most advertising is that you probably don't have a product or a market that's that distinct. So you need to do a lot of advertising, a lot of hook research, a lot of video upfront, a lot of convincing in the newsfeed before they even consider buying your stuff. So if you've got a great offer that no one else has, great for you. You just said something that resonated, Ralph, and actually reminded me of a client that we failed at. So you're talking about if you've got the only thing, right? You've got the cure for cancer, you know, you can put your offer in front of a starving audience. The issue with that is convincing the audience that your offer will satiate their hunger. We had a client who invented a new type of baby swaddle. And when I took this client on, I was a new dad. And it was amazing. It was amazing. The, the swaddle, you could change a kid's diaper while keeping them swallowed, swaddled. There were all these like cool little pockets. And the way that it, it went on and went off was way easier than the swaddles we were using. It was unbelievable. It's a really brilliant product. We ran e-com smart shopping, you know, inbound in the beginning. It died on the vine. And it died on the vine because the value proposition was more complex than could be understood in the fraction of a second. You could see, you know, a, a little bit of the B-roll videos or some of the images. So to the point that you just made, that's a product that really needed a funnel. And that's not a tool that's on my tool belt. And so we just didn't go in that direction. But I bet you had she, you know, built something out that really explained what it was, how it did it. You know, you're talking about your client with these three, five minute videos. That's what you needed. You needed three to five minutes to watch this thing in play. And then you're like, oh, that's why it's twice as much because it's 10 times as good. Yeah. So I think, I think that's a point well taken. The thing I'd, I'd want to add to that is there's a lot of products where the product is a piece of the funnel. We've got a client who sells an industrial tape and one roll of tape is 10 bucks. And the cost per acquisition, I think is 30. So we spend $30 to sell $10 worth of tape, but it's to HVAC companies who the minute they use the tape and realize, oh, this actually does what they say it's going to do. I think that the lifetime value of a customer is like $10,000 or something insane. I made that last number up, but it's definitely you know into the thousands of dollars. So we spend 10 bucks on the front end, lose massively, but we make huge numbers on the back end. And that to me is a type of a funnel. You know, it's kind of like Ryan's old, what was the candlestick thing? He sold wick. Yeah. Sell wicks and then sell the candles on the back end. Because the theory is, is like, unless you're, if you're buying wicks for, I don't know, a dollar each or 50 cents each, chances are you're probably going to make some candles. <laughs> So harder to sell the candle on the front end, but you're calling out your avatar, which is a candle maker, arts and crafts person. I don't know anything about candle making, but I assume like if you're going to have to make a candle, you probably need some wicks, right? And then after that, you're going to need your paraffin wax and your other things and your scented oils and all these other sorts of things. So the front end offer was so irresistible. That's how they actually acquired customers for the real business, which was candles and candle making equipment on the back end. Yeah. So I think the take home message is funnels are fine when funnels work, right? It's issue and product and business dependent. Yeah. I do think you brought up a very good point though about the swaddle company is that it, like if you've got a product that, and I said, unless you have the cure for cancer and it's like, I guess it's probably a better way of saying it is unless it's really self-evident what it does 
But in most cases, there has to be some explanation of it. If it's something that's new and novel and different, you need to explain it. You need to, like yesterday, we were on a call with a customer who sells you know, these shelves, which are actually really cool looking shelves. And inside of them, super nice guy. Like you look at their site to like, oh my God, this is for like crazy gun owners. But no, it's actually, it's like this cool sort of shelf that then you flip it open and you can hide your concealed weapons inside of it. And, but the only way that they sell it is because it's so new and novel to gun owners and gun enthusiasts. And in most cases, he says, you know, the people that actually purchase aren't ones that actually own guns. They just like the fact that it's so cool and they just buy it for the novelty, which I thought was really interesting. Anyway, the point is, is it needs some explanation. Like nobody knew what this thing was. Like if you just showed a video, if you just showed an image of it and say, hey, go buy this thing, unless you actually explained it, took a minute or two to go through sort of like, this is how it works. This is how you install it. This is how it sort of opens up. This is how it locks. This is how it's safe, you know, against your kids. This is how easily it is, easy it is to access it if an intruder comes into your house. Like that's the whole idea behind how he got to be a very successful company. That is not self-evident. You still need some selling in the newsfeed. And what we refer to as an explainer video. This is a different type of video than the teach and pitch. So we probably wouldn't use the teach and pitch in that particular case. We would use more explainer videos, quick, short stuff, but still, like, do they have a sales funnel? Eh, they kind of do to increase their average order value. They're a hybrid. They sell that up front. And then on the back end, there is two different upsells for two different products, which are sort of add-ons to the original shelf. So in that case, that's an ideal customer for us because we know that we can increase average order value by doing consulting on the back end. We can also enhance the sales page. We can also do all kinds of other video assets on the front end. That would be an ideal e-commerce customer for us to work with. Would that work on Google Shopping? I don't know. Can you get their attention? Could you get somebody to click to understand all that? Kind of like your swaddling baby thing customer might be a little harder to do. So there's a case for and against potentially a sales funnel or a modified sales funnel. When you just said something too, that maybe this is a semantic argument, but like you mentioned the order bumps after the fact. I never thought of order bumps as sales funnels. And if order bumps are sales funnels, then I'm now pro sales funnel because I think every e-commerce store on the planet should have order bumps. I've got a, a buddy, he's a e-com pro, Scott Cunningham over at Socialite. And I forgot the percentage, but it was like the majority of the profitability that they were creating for these case study clients of his all came from order bumps. So they're selling the product just to liquidate the traffic cost and the order bump is where they're making their money. Mm. So there's my question for you, Ralph. Is an order bump a sales funnel? Well, they have, in their case, they have order bumps and they have a one-time offer after they actually purchase. So there is an order bump. I think I misspoke. There's an order bump on the actual cart itself, which is a little checkbox. Get this. I'm actually clicking over to their site right now to see what the order bump is. And then after they purchase, then there is a one-time upsell, which you know, through, I think it's Infusionsoft or the, I forget which site they actually have, they then are allowed to upsell on that one-time offer for you know a super specific finish or a coupon to get this certain type of armament, like that kind of stuff. So it is definitely a sales funnel. It's a modified one, at least it's a small funnel, but then there's 
you know, there's upsell pathways after that. There's additional products that they can purchase typically through email. So is an order bump part of a funnel? I would say, yes, it is because there's some thought to increasing average order value. At least it's one, it's one tactic that you can use. Because at the end of the day, like a sales funnel is to convince as well as to enhance average order value. So you can are willing to pay more for a customer, especially in an increased competitive world, especially in you know the platforms that we deal with primarily and obviously on Google as well. So is that a sales funnel? I would say it's more than just sending them to a sales page or just to a product page rather and nothing because at least you have the opportunity to enhance that average order value. And like you said, sometimes the average order value on the order bump is or that incremental average order value that you get from the order bump is the profit for the product. Yeah. Yeah. So I think logic applied to the checkout process, I absolutely agree with. I think where I go off the rails a little bit with funnels, and this is maybe really the sticking point, is the it's the squeeze. It's the initial squeeze of that traffic. And then my inability to see, you know, who that person is or where they went because I don't have a multi-page experience or environment which I understand, you know, you already told me that multi-page kills the initial opt-in, but in the Google world, it can be super helpful. Yeah. It depends on where you're coming from. I totally blank on what you just <laughs> said, by the way. Honestly, we got kind of cyclical anyway, in terms yeah. of what we were talking about. We sort of went full circle. So maybe if there's a way to just like lift bring this it, out of it. Let's, bring it back home. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. And I just checked that customer site. They do not have an order bump. Oh, that's so funny. So there's money left on the table right there. We'll have to figure out exactly what to do as an order bump. So that's the sort of stuff that we'll look at in these deeper funnels. And it's not a very deep funnel, but as soon as we go into digital, like webinar opt-ins, we've got customers that are doing all that sort of stuff, You know, multiple video sequences to a high-priced offer. We talked about one a couple of weeks ago and maybe on our YouTube live about a coaching customer that we have, which has worked really well on Facebook. And now we're transferring that over to YouTube. Same type of thing, multiple step in the funnel. And we just find that an interruption marketing, it's like it's, it is more of a necessity than a luxury. But if you do combine some of those front end video assets, especially with a sales funnel, it's a really good combination. And then you layer in the right type of intent-based advertising on top of that, be that Google, be that YouTube, which is intent and interruption, sort of a combination of the two. It's a great way to scale and grow a business. So I don't know who won the funnel debate here, but I think it's sort of a standoff between you and I and a continuing subject of conversation because it's super interesting because at the end of the day, is a sales funnel the right thing for you? Well, it depends on your business. But I think there's some different definitions of exactly what a sales funnel is. And I, I've, I've enjoyed debating this one with you, Kasim. We need a way for our listeners to chime in and like, <laughs> you know, lob grenades at us and pick sides, just go full on like tr- Twitter trench warfare. We should, you know, this might actually be a good like add on subject for YouTube lives for Perpetual Fridays, which by the way, every Friday over at the Digital Marketer YouTube channel, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. I always want to reverse those for some reason, but don't show to show up at 8 a.m. Eastern because I won't be there. But Kasim will be there at 8 a.m. Pacific. I'll be there at 11 a.m. Eastern. I hope to see you there every Friday over at Perpetual Fridays. 
And yeah, look forward to the interaction that we'll get here. I think we should definitely do this as a uh, as a funnel debate, funnel showdown, part duh. That's my part duh. That's all I know about French right there, duh. Uh, so everything that we mentioned here on this week's show, head on over to digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. This has been episode 319. And like I said, join us every Friday over at Perpetual Fridays at Digital Marketer. YouTube will leave links to the show notes to all that. Until next week, everyone, see ya. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic. For more information and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.